The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic for The Wrap and IGN and criticallyacclaimed.net, and everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. Uh, ditto. Hmm. Just not The Wrap. It's fine. Once for The Wrap. Eh. <laughs> a while back. Once more into The Wrap, dear friends. <laughs> uh, it's good to be here on mm. this balmy uh, August night. It, it's cooling off finally. Yeah, it's it, in, it, it's in the eighties in at night now. It, thank it, goodness, it hasn't been as intense a heat wave, but it's been long. I still feel like we're trapped in that like that but, one Twilight Zone episode where the, Earth was getting closer dr- to the sun, mm-hmm. and then like you know it all ended with like all the paintings on the walls melting and everyone screaming. Yeah, and yeah. then and like, then it's so hot she just goes mad. Yeah, it's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh so that's uh that's Southern California. How's the weather where you are? <laughs> oh, also the place is on fire. Yeah. Everything uh, it's hell here and uh what better mood to be in to discuss this week's show. <laughs> so we have a series of theme months coming your way. Uh September is suddenly last season where we're going to review a bunch of shows that just got canceled last year mm. or this last se- television season anyway. Uh, then the, in the, the, the recently dead. Then in October we have uh, nothing but horror stuff, and then in November we're doing a marvelous month of Marvels, in which we're going to do a bunch of Marvel themed uh, superhero shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we only have two more opportunities to do weird stuff we just want to do. <laughs> so yeah, this week and next week are are for us. Yeah, whatever we want, even if no one else wants to see it, this is our chance. So mm-hmm. Whitney chose this week's. I chose next week's. Whitney chose a show that uh, about like. An episode into watching this, you texted me mm. and just said, fair warning, this is my jam. <laughs> like, this is... And I watched it, and it's, I watched the like show. spilled out of my brain at some point. And I watched the show. I got one episode into it, and I'm just like, yeah, I can... This is... Whitney's... Whitney's sense of humor and whimsy... Mm-hmm. Calcified, like after he heard his first Weird Al Yankovic album. Yeah, pretty much. That's just where he is humor wise <laughs> in terms of what in terms of what delights him and makes mm. him go wee. So this show brought to you by Adam Rifkin, <laughs> the mastermind behind the Dark Backward. Oh my God, yes. Mm. Uh, this show is a real, real treat for him. Will it be a treat for me? Will it be a treat for you? Let's find out, and let's talk about Bone Chillers. We couldn't really 
to find a good like oh, I put like some music there from like the the credits so you get a sense of the tone but like there's no like good preview of this because we had to watch this show and it's never been properly released so there, we were, there were a few VHS tapes out floating around out there but, I don't but think we could the we whole couldn't, series yeah it wasn't the whole series and we couldn't track down those tapes so we know. were so when we watched this we watched you know someone had put VHSs of it mm. uh, out there and they got all the commercials and I was watching the commercials from the show that aired on ABC in 1996 mm. and it made me realize that kids television taught me that as a child, uh-huh. it was my responsibility to be constantly manic. Yeah, that was sort of the note that that we were on. Yeah, uh, everything when was Saturday like, morning cartoons were still a thing. Everything it, was sped up. Everything yeah. was hyper colored. It was always well, weird angles and fish same, eye lenses. It's the same now. Keep in mind the people who were raised on this stuff are now making the shows. Yeah. So you know that that sort of sense of whimsy is still there, but it now seems a little bit more aggressive. You watch something like Adventure Time. That's clearly made by somebody who grew up watching the Ren and Stimpy show. Absolutely. But, but at the same time, Adventure mm. Time has like a narrative reason for its weirdness. I'm talking about the commercials. Oh, okay. The nonstop, loud, mm. screaming, kids rule, adults are terrible. Great food, cool stuff, kids only. Yeah. It's the like, Burger King Kids Club where kids rule. Yeah, 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 yeah. Even as a kid, mm. I found that a little too intense. Even as a kid, I was like, well, you know what? Was... I'd like to read today. I don't I really have enough time to run around and strap videos mm. to my face like that Burger King kid. I don't understand what that thing was. He had, Who a, TV, belongs... he had a TV facing outward on his face. Like, how do and, you watch and, that? And, and he carried a remote around. Yeah, I wasn't really sure what his deal was either. He was clearly like he, he didn't poochy. have he didn't have eyeballs. Yeah. Like that was a machine that reached into his brain. Yeah, he he was Poochie. He was mm. designed to be cool with a capital cool. Yeah. Yeah. Great food, cool stuff. <laughs> so on ABC in 1996, mm. um, you know, they well, were no, sure- th- th- this was when I like I was still brushing up against a lot of Saturday morning cartoons, but I was a senior in high school. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't getting laid yet, which is why I was probably watching a lot of Saturday morning cartoons. Well, you had Saturdays off still. That's true. So, like, if you're up in the morning on Saturdays, well, I might as well watch cartoons. What else am I going to put on? Golf? Like, (laughs) I got to eat my cereal and do something. Like, there you go. Go go out and, you know, actually construct something. But, yeah. First thing in the morning, you're allowed to watch some TV. So I watched some TV. So I didn't watch Bone Chillers, but I saw, like, scenes here and there as I was surfing through. And it vanished from my radar for many years Mm. until we started doing this show again. And it started coming back into my mind. So I wanted to take this opportunity to see what what the to-do was. Yeah. Uh, The Bone Chillers is based on a series of uh, children's horror... Mm. We say novels... We, they're, they're children, be, children's novels. It's yeah. it's accurate, but they're not long or anything like that. No, but novelettes, novelettes. There, there's got to be a word for it. Uh, and they're created by Betsy Haynes mm-hmm. and Daniel Weiss. Betsy Haynes was a very prolific author. I think she's still alive. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, she did uh, something called the Great Mom Swa- Swap. The which Great adap- Mom Swap, which was adapted into a feature film. Yep, um, she did something. Except, like, it's not as dirty as you think. It's kid friendly. Uh, another uh, series of books called The Fabulous Five and Bone Chillers was kind of a Goosebumps riff, just a yeah, well, spookyish kind of kid stories. There were horror stories for kids were always around. There was like books of ghost stories going way mm-hmm. back, but you know, scary stories to tell in the dark, for instance, which, but, was, which is old. Like, people forget that was like 1981. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Goosebumps really sort of kicked off a new trend of mm-hmm. the sort of heavily branded uh, kid horror fiction 
uh, anthology style. And it's there, really kind of, it was really kind of brilliant because mm. they're first off they're they're short and they're cheap and they're collectible. So you yeah. want to get them all. Um, they look and, good when you line them up on a shelf. And they hit this really sweet spot where actually the reading level of mm. Goosebumps. Maybe not so much like, you know, like, Carl Stein's other stuff. It's like fifth grade level. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's it's pretty light. Like, if you're if you're a bright second or third grader, you can read it. Mm. And if you're not a heavy reader, like at sixth or seventh grade, mm. it still feels like a real book. <laughs> and, but, and it's got horror stuff. Like, the setup for all of them is reasonably spooky. Ha- like, you could do a... mask, ventriloquist dummy, but, yeah, yeah there's no gore or death. Like, a, a camera that photographs how you're gonna die. Like, mm. you know, just a good setup for a Tales from the Crypt-type episode. But, yeah, there was never anything super-duper scary about it. It was just kind of spooky. Uh-huh. That's all. That's what you Sp- got out of it. Spooky. Kind of uh, spooky. And, you know, when, when you're in the second, third, fourth, fifth grade, that's, that's enough. That's fine. Well, it depends. I know a lot of people, like my wife included... Mm. Uh, uh, me to a lesser extent who were reading like real horror like yeah, at that time kind like, of pick, you know, already going through Stephen King horror for adults like mm. you could read it and a lot of people did because for whatever reason like in the media we're like really careful about like whether or not kids see R-rated movies but mm. sure fuck it read the thing read, well, read it <laughs> read it yeah like who cares like it's a book right that makes it good for you there's uh, horrible things that occur in that you give me horrible nightmares blood monstrous there's weird sex stuff in that book yeah, yeah it's, it's, we don't have rating systems for books which is I'm not saying we should I just mm. think it's glorious hypocrisy That's about, this is why I've, uh, I read a book I've encountered a book it's the only book I've ever encountered it was called Cows by Matthew Stokoe and it is one of the most vile, repugnant, repellent, disgusting books ever written. And it had a warning on the back saying this book contains scenes of disgusting stuff. It's like, I've never seen that on a book. Yeah. So I'm buying this immediately. <laughs> and I did. And I read it. And it made me kind of sick. So uh, the problem is when you do like that kind of serialized like mm. anthology books, people want to adapt them because the brand is popular. But there's no singular story. Now, Goosebumps right. got away with this because they did an anthology kids horror series. Like you when, know, when they adapted it to like, series. Like Tales yeah. from the Crypt for Kids. Mm. Um, and when they did a movie with Jack Black, they were actually very clever about it. And they found a nice little meta way mm. to put everything on in one universe and that movie's actually really good uh, and there's a sequel coming out this October I know I hope it's good yeah. I really do uh, when Bone Chillers decided to go to television they went a somewhat different route and they decided mm. that all of the spooky stories that took place in the Bone Chillers books mm-hmm. What happened to the same characters? Yeah, so it's about a group of kids who go to school at Edgar Allan Poe High School, and they're never they're never seen outside of this high school. Uh, well, and, they go to like a cemetery once or twice, but they never like go uh, home. Yeah, we never see them at home. We never yeah. hear them talk about their parents. They're just we mostly see them at high school. Yeah, and Edgar Allan Poe High School is haunted, and that's never addressed. It's this weird. It's like a haunted mansion covered with cobwebs and spooky skulls, and you know horrendous lunches that you're not supposed to eat and can yeah. make you really sick. And they talk about like, oh, I have to go. I'm, I'm late for my class in medieval torture 101. So like yeah. they're, they're, it's this weird thing. This is the, it's, it's the monsters universe. It's not a very well thought out universe though, because mm. I get the premise. You want to have all these spooky stories happen to the same kids. Fine. Mm. You want to set it in a world that's really heightened. So all this weird stuff can happen and it doesn't like blow everyone's mind. Right. Okay. I, I get that. By creating this school of weirdness, uh-huh. and and like the principal is some, we never get into it, but he, he's some he's, kind of he's, monster. He's a mon- like he's he has, got weird eyes. He's got weird and- eyes. He is a monster. What oh, what is the the 
Pus- the principles in Pussman, Principal Pussman, or Pustool, something like that. Principal Percival Pussman. Yeah, they had fun writing that name. Uh, um, and but- yeah, and and he growls and he like threatens to murder people. The 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 school's janitor lives in the basement and can like remove body parts, including his own head. And nobody seems to really bat an eye at this. And here's the thing: like at first, when I saw the first episode, I'm like, oh, so they're at like a like a Hogwarts kind of thing. Like they're not going to wizarding school, but they're mm. in a world where people know this stuff exists mm. and it's scary and weird. And you have to deal with it, but like, it's not like strange. And yet as the series went on, I realized that that's not what happens no. here. No, no, What we are in mm. is this odd little alcove of genre fiction, which is, and, and I think Buffy the Vampire Slayer codified it for most people. School is hell. Literally, okay. yeah, hell. yeah, yeah. Everything else well, the, might be real, but school itself is this weird, phantasmagorical, mm. terrible place where people are monstrous and bad people get away with everything. Mm. I, I and would it say just it feels broad. I would say Invader Zim really nailed it. If you yeah. ever saw Invader Zim, but everything they, is heightened in Invader Zim, not just yeah. school. Well, that's true. But, you know, you go to school and, you know, the teacher is like literally a ghost that appears in front of you and say, hello, you miserable little monsters. I'm going to fail you all today. Yeah. And and then like, well, eat your pet that you brought to school. And no, and that's just school. That's just, just what school is. That. Yeah. And it feels mm. right. Like, that's something I can actually really get behind. Mm. That school feels hellish because whether you love school or not it's this weird institution you're Mm. forced to go to with rules that do not and should not apply anywhere else (laughs) like the survival skills you need to survive school socially Mm. you do not need them after school or at least you shouldn't they're bad so a lot of people peak in high school it's like they learn these rules they get absolute mastery of how to survive yeah, high school. They adapt to this go, environment and, and this environment alone. Yeah, you go into a work environment and it's completely meaningless and they feel nothing but nostalgia for the rest of their lives. Like, well, I was on top of it when I was 17. What happened? Yeah, so... You mastered a skill that's obsolete. So, like, I'm fine with the premise of high school as hell, but this is a confusing high school. That's what I love about it. You like that it is ill-defined. Yeah, yeah, because because buckle up, is, everybody. Because this is a Whitney show. It's a world of chaos, and I enjoy that. Um, and it's not just that school feels like I, I watched this with with my wife, a few episodes with my wife, and you know, God bless her, and. Uh, <laughs> She watched about long suffering. She watched about like half of an episode and say, "Oh, I get it. This is the Adventures of Pete and Pete in Hell," where (laughs) there's something like if you ever watched Nickelodeon's The Adventures of Pete and Pete, great show, an amazing show. Um, Really, even the stuff that's aged badly is still fascinating. It's a really weird show. It takes place in sort of a vaguely recognizable suburb, but reality is a little off. Mm. And I think they were really smart about presenting this off-center version of reality in a way that your childhood self can recognize it a little bit more sharply. Mm. It doesn't have to be accurate to actual reality because it felt so weird at the time. I don't trust and I my feel, memory of being a kid. Yeah, well, I don't. I, 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 was, I didn't know anything yeah, and everything so, was heightened and everything is all about me because I have no other frame of reference yet. Right, like, right, I don't right. have like, I'm not worldly, I'm not well-read, I haven't met a lot of people. You know, the part of the, the human brain that processes empathy doesn't even 
develop until you're seven. So yeah. your brain is constantly on, on the rise and it's stretching out to these weird places and everything can feel really extreme. So in the adventures of Pete and Pete, when neighbors get into sort of a prank war, one of the pranks is they push Steve Buscemi's house like two inches to the left. And when he goes up and he, and he walks up to his front walk and he takes out his keys and he tries to put it in the lock and it hits the door because the lock is in the like slightly off. Like that's weird. That, that's and they I were able Pete to and Pete so much. and they were able to push the house because young Pete is like friends with Artie, the strongest man in the world. Yeah. Bone Chillers takes place in that universe, only it's the haunted house version of that. Yeah, it's the Halloween episode of it's Pete ev- and Pete every day. Every episode, every day is the yeah. Halloween episode of Pete and Pete. Who doesn't want to live in that world? Having seen the show, I can say me, but we can talk about this. So, uh, Bone Chillers yeah. is Bone Chillers lasted from mm-hmm. September seventh through November thirtieth. 1996 just in time for the halloween season and just yep. in time to die out after the halloween and, season and and i'm just gonna i'm not gonna tell you like whether i think it was canceled too soon or not mm. but i am gonna tell you why it was canceled because it's bullshit <laughs> what what are you talking about I, I, no here's here's why it was canceled here's okay. here's the reason why okay. disney bought abc and they oh, canceled every show that right. they did that's not. right they canceled every non-disney created show even bone chillers which was at the time one of the highest rated kid shows they had Tisk, tisk. It's it doesn't matter what your ratings were. You were not Disney. The many the sharp tentacled mm. octopus that was the Disney Corporation mm. took another victim, and it was bone chillers. <laughs> and, and this was late nineties Disney, and when they were writing low, this yeah. was like they the, the the Renaissance was kind of at an end at this point. Like mm. there, this was well, around TV the, was doing okay. The TV well, they had like the Disney afternoon stuff, but even mm. like stuff like Darkwing Duck and Chippendale, like it had given way to quack pack things that mm-hmm. weren't as well regarded the mighty ducks but they're actual ducks and they fight evil yeah still and, pretty hazy and, and, and then felt like i guess tarzan was a hit but tarzan isn't as loved as something like it's really not even like is, mulan which was just just like a year earlier well, mulan was a great uh, story tarzan was a pretty good story that they made mm. a little weird and but yeah they, they the had, animation on tarzan is phenomenal they had the the, the, the four punch of the little mermaid uh, beauty and the beast aladdin and the lion king those all came out like right next to each mm-hmm. other and everyone was like oh well disney is great now and to a somewhat lesser and extent then, there was pocahontas and hunchback uh, and those did really well as well oh, poke, but people don't love those and in fact lo- in fact yeah. hunchback comparatively was just a bomb yeah like it made money like it was a hit it was technically a hit but mm. it did not do what like uh, lion king I numbers think it was hercules that started to people yeah, be like kinda, and I, th- I guess we're done yeah we're done now <laughs> we're, okay <laughs> so this was but like we're still working on home on the range what do you what do you what are you yeah, talking about uh, we're done tre- treasure planet home on the range these are Great movie. Please come back. Don't leave. Okay, CGI, CGI. Okay, we'll do we'll do Chicken Little and Meet the Robinsons. No, 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 come back. They I'm were gonna, desperate. They were desperate through this phase. I'm take this moment and this moment alone to just yeah. say, I really like Treasure Planet. I, I, you've defended Treasure Planet. Okay, before. I just I don't want, I don't want that to go by over the thing. Like, oh, these guys don't like Treasure Planet. They're a bunch of jerks. I like Treasure Planet. Mm. I'm a nice person. Treasure Planet, it's not bad. It's not bad. Just sort of a forgettable flick for me. I think, I think it's one of the I th- few. I think it's it's not nearly as interesting as any I think Treasure it's, Island. I movie. think it's one of the, fair enough, but I think it's one of the few Disney animated movies that has like a, a, like a paternal story. 
at the center of it, like the story between mm-hmm. our young hero and Long John Silver, there's actually like really great character work there. It's an emotional core yeah, that a lot to of Robert dis- Louis Stevenson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's okay. It's okay that Cinderella works because the fairy tale works. All right, you fine. know, it's, it's it's an adaptation. It should take the good stuff. Uh-huh. So like, no, I just think that that core of Treasure Planet that I just think it's fanciful and pretty and mm-hmm. looks cool. Um, I think that works. I just want right. to give I just want to give it a shout out while I while I have the opportunity because we're about to get back to Bone Chillers. <laughs> Go on. Uh, what? what? I don't know. Take us through. The, you're the one. You're All the right, fan. Well, like, okay. Well, th- th- let's take him through. So, so we, we just it, it takes place at Edgar Allan Poe High School, which is a, a monster world. Yeah. And uh, the four main characters are sort of strangely exaggerated versions of like teen archetypes that you might see in something like Saved by the Bell. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, so so we, we had Fitz Crump, who's played by uh, John Patrick White. He's the Sort sort of the Zack. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of normal. He's a little. He's he's he, well. He's the one who has a crush on the popular girl at school. He has a crush on the popular girl at school, and he he's dressed as and presented as sort of like the normal boring white male hero type. Yeah, but he's kind of an oddball, mm-hmm. and he likes monster movies, and he's you know, behaves strangely, and whenever he screams, his face distorts. I think he's taking a lot of cues from Jim Carrey mm. uh, to, for his performance, and uh, I think he is. He's he's trying to play really, really zany. He yeah, is he's played by John Patrick White, yeah. who had a bunch of little tiny roles in things like Can't Hardly Wait mm. and Galaxy Quest. This was like his bigger starring role. He, he was poised to be a teen idol, but he he never made it to the, the mainstream the same way a, a, a Coronemic might have. He was a, he was um, in a, he starred in a show called AJ's Time Travelers, mm. uh, and. In which he plays AJ, and I guess he has some time travelers. Okay. Uh, he's, his best friend is uh, uh, Brian. Brian. Played by Esteban Powell. Uh, Brian who, is... Who lo- looks almost exactly like Donovan Freeberg. Sure. Don, Donovan, you know Donovan Freeberg. He did, those, he's, uh, he did those encyclopedia commercials back in the day. Not really. He had a porn blog for a while. He's a friend of mine. Cool. All right. Uh... <laughs> Brian is, I get the impression they were trying to make him more of a mad scientist type, but they kind of forget about that. And mm. he kind of just is the wacky guy. He, he, he's the, well, he's the nerdy guy. Yeah. And he, ha, and he has a crush on uh, one of their mutual friends, uh, mm. Sarah, played by none other than Linda Cardellini. Who keeps following us around. We just, <laughs> we just did Dead Man on Campus with Linda Cardellini over at Critically Acclaimed. We recently did Freaks and Geeks. This was her first gig and and you know what? She sells the heck out of it. She's she's the breakout star of this. Yeah, she is very very likable in this. She yeah. plays the uh, uh, somewhat cynical, the sullen goth girl. Yeah, yeah, she's not super goth. In fact, there's actually one episode where there's a new girl at school, and Linda Cardellini is like impressed by how much more goth she is. Like, <laughs> wow, she's old school goth. This yeah. is good. Yeah. Like, I I like her. Mm. I'm like. Um, but she's great. And uh, lastly, she, the... Uh, she auditions to be the Raven Maven and then doesn't care when she doesn't get to be Edgar Allan Poe's Raven Maven for the year. Um, and then lastly, we have uh, mm. Lexi, played by Sadia Persaud. And she's the the peace, love, and understanding hippie type who mm-hmm. is constantly protesting, which was a stock character in the 90s more often than it is today. Yeah, and it's interesting. Like, it's at this weird point where everything she's saying is right. Yeah. Like she's just like, well, we can't we can't tear down all these trees. I don't care if they are evil trees. We can't destroy the environment like this. Mm. Technically, you're right, but within the context of the narrative, you're annoying. Like, it's <laughs> she, this weird point where, like, we knew they were I've, right, but we uh, wanted to poke fun at them. 
awesome. And, and, and I have a feeling like they they didn't really they didn't know know what to do with this character so much, so they didn't give her yeah. a lot to do. Yeah, she was the the most pragmatic, most human looking character mm-hmm. of the court of the central quartet. Yeah, she looked like someone you knew. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She, um, she she never had like court, sort of a weird manic moment. She was seemed she was the uh, the Marilyn Munster. Yeah. She's the white sheep of the show, if you will. Yeah. Um, and mm. uh, then they have a series of professors, mm. uh, some of whom make multiple appearances. Well, there's, some of whom er- do not. there's Eric Avari, who we know. You've, you've seen Eric Avari. He's been in everything. He was in Stargate. Yeah. He was in, like, he's, and he's great. And he actually L- look, has, look him up. Look, look at a picture of his face. You know him. You've seen him in yeah. things. He actually has. Do- doctor, as Dr. Lumbago. He actually has the funniest joke in the entire series. Uh-huh. He's, it's the opening of an episode about a comet, mm. and he's giving a presentation to the class about astronomy, and the class is all like, you know, kind of distracted, not really into it, and he's giving his thing. It's like, of course, and then of course the gas is coming out of Uranus, and then he pauses, <laughs> waiting for the snicker, and they don't, and he's like, okay, <laughs> which is actually a funny joke. <laughs> Cute. Very yeah. cute. Um, there, there's uh, other recurring characters. Lorraine Newman shows up as uh, as sort of a, a. I didn't realize she was in that. She looks a lot like Kate Pearson. Okay. Uh, and I'm guessing they tried to get Kate Pearson from the B52s, but they couldn't, so they just put a like gigantic beehive hairdo on uh, on the poetry teacher. Fine. Uh, uh, Charles Fleischer has a recurring role as. Not Artie, the strongest man in the world, from Pete and Pete, mm-hmm. but Arnie, the monster janitor who lives in the basement, mm-hmm. and who I thought was only going to appear in one episode, but it tur- turns out is just this... He's essentially a bridge troll <laughs> with a fake eye. There's a, a really fantastic scene where he's held hostage, and he's tied up, and a cockroach, like a real cockroach, climbs up onto his shoulder, and he kind of roach whispers to it and then pops out his eye and puts it on the back of the roach and sends it scurrying to look for help. Charles Fleischer is a really underappreciated actor. Mm. You know him as the voice of Roger Rabbit. Mm. Um, and and as the creepy guy in the basement in Zodiac. Oh my god, that's one of the scariest. That's, it, Zodiac is not technically a horror movie, but that's it's one it's of the a serial killer. That's one of the scariest scenes in like the 21st it, century. It's a that scar- scene is terrifying. It's a scary scene in a movie that hasn't been quite that funereal up to that point. Yeah, it's not. It's where not Jake a- Gyllenhaal follows this guy out down into a basement. It's like, so who did the art for this posters? I did the art for the posters myself. It's like he's, and in that moment, it's like you're watching Doctor Giggles. Yeah, like it's <laughs> it's really creepy, and and Fincher uh. handles the transition well, and it's just good because Charles Fleischer got pigeonholed as the funny guy, and mm. he played the creepy guy, and here he gets to do both. And mm. yeah, he's a character who just does whatever the plot needs him to do, and he has a if different he accent school, every line, every line. He's and, like practicing voices on set. It's great. Yeah, and like if they need him to give exposition, he gives exposition. If they need him to be an impediment to the plot. He's mm. the one who tells you this thing is broken, and because he's a monster that lives in the basement. Yeah, he's just this ghoul. Um, and um, yeah, so every episode is basically monster of the week, mm. and uh, they solve that monster. Let's get cracking. <laughs> the uh, first episode that aired uh-huh. was Art Intimidates Life, mm. and each episode had a title card, and each episode was. Uh, filmed in some sort of gimmicky 1950s cinematic style yeah. uh, in, in the subtitle. It and, actually wasn't. And but, it know. usually had a gag that related to the plot yeah. of the story. So, for example, uh, an episode about killer plants was filmed in 3D. Right. Get and, it? And, and, well, and, and sometimes yeah, it's hold, hold it just like... Let's give everyone uh, an opportunity to, to get to it. To let that one sink in. 
3D. 3D. Oh, well, take a moment. There was also like Vision and Repulsoscope and things like that. Dear God. I'm so sorry. Give them a moment. I don't want to get out ahead of that joke. Okay. Everyone got that? 3D. God, I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) These are the jokes, folks. These are the the jokes. But yeah, in the the first episode... uh, in in exchange for giving a creepy homeless guy some change, he uh, or Zach, I don't, it's not Zach, his Fitz, but he may <laughs> yes. as well be Zach. Uh, yeah. F- Fitz gives uh, some money to a homeless man. Creepy homeless man says, "Well, I'll give you something in return. It's a sketchbook because I noticed you'd like to sketch." And he sketches yeah. monsters. Yeah, he. What's the what's the onion villain he creates? Like. Br- Bermuda Onion. Oh, it's, it's just like Bermuda Onion Man, I think. Yeah, something yeah. weird onion dude. And he fights mm. a hero named Gladiator. And uh, yeah, he's got to like draw like a birthday card for one of their friends. Mm. It's, and it's he, Sarah's birthday. But what he does mm. is uh, he draws monsters. He's a horror fiend. He mm. watches their their own version of Sven Gulli on Who looks exactly like Sven Gulli. I had to look it up. It's not actually Sven Gulli. Yeah, yeah, I was watching this with my it, wife. It may was, as well be. My, Michelle was just like... Why didn't they get Svanguli? He would have done it. Yeah. <laughs> Why didn't you get him? Um, but uh, yes. Yeah, so, I'm sorry. I can't do this ABC series. I'm busy on local television. So he ruins all his paper. He needs to get a sketchbook. Homeless guy gives him a sketchbook. And it turns out the sketchbook, anything you draw in the sketchbook actually happens. Mm. And he keeps drawing monsters. And he thinks, oh, it's an evil sketchbook. Mm. And then finally, Charles Fleischer points out to him, you're drawing monsters. <laughs> of course, there's evil things are happening. What if you're you drew... Monsters? Not monsters. And he's like, oh my god, you're I right. Ne- I never thought of that. And then, of course, Charles Fleischer immediately says, you should draw me. You should draw me, surrounded by riches. And you're wondering if this is he's going to be the villain. No, he's just a recurring character. Just a kook. Just a kooky guy. Um, so the first half of this is actually one of like the scarier bits. Because like mm. one of the monsters he draws and he like, pops out of like a cooking pot like in Ghoulies. Mm. And he starts chasing him around. The it's thing with a- the little teeth. Yeah. It's actually kind of creepy. And the like, way it, the way it moves and the way it films. Yeah, yeah. Like that one is legit creepy. Like you could make a horror movie out of that monster and it would be, it would be an okay horror movie. Mm. But then after he realizes that he, it's not cursed, it's just magic and he can do whatever he wants... Then he turns into an asshole because, uh-huh. like, he he draws like the most popular girl in school, the one he has a crush on, kissing him. So she, and, <laughs> so and that's fucked up. And she actually, when when the spell wears off, she just says, "He assaulted me," and I'm uh-huh. like, "He did." Uh huh. He's a monster. And, and, and then and, her boyfriend. This is the introduction. Uh-huh. To this girl, who the rest of the show will try to portray as kind of vapid, a cartoon mm. sort of, you know. Debbie, Side character. A Debbie, yeah, a debutante, and then her boyfriend, who is a jock mm. asshole, and then they have like a dumb sidekick as well. But like, we're supposed to like not like these characters. They're the victims the first time we meet them. Because in addition to this guy, first off, ogling this dude's girlfriend mm. and her when she doesn't want him to, um, then he forces her to kiss him mm. and then when the dude tries to stop and says hey what are you doing to my girlfriend who i know doesn't like you like that turns him into an old man yeah he draws him like a decrepit old man mm. and he starts like dying like in like the end like a slow version of the end of last crusade and then the teacher like <laughs> sees what he's doing and he rips up his sketches uh, just and- to be a mean teacher and of course everything just goes back to normal and i'm like this is our hero yeah because that's fucked up well, yeah. That's some fucked up shit right there. Tell, okay, I want you to tell me with all honesty that you wouldn't have tried something like that when you were 16. I don't think I would have, but I had, <laughs> I had, I had a guilt complex. Oh, well. So, yeah, I don't think I would have. Okay. 
That being said, I, I, uh, I think if you suddenly came upon a great deal of power and you were young and immature, you would probably be Dane DeHaan in Chronicle I'm, more than you would be anybody else. I, listen, I'm not mm. saying I would use it wisely. I just uh, don't think I would have done that. But okay. fair enough. Yeah. Um, anyway, he draws one more monster anyway. And the monster escapes and draws more monsters. Dr- yeah, the, the monster book, itself draws monsters. Which is actually kind of clever. And, Until uh, the end when he can draw Gladiator to fight them all off. Yeah. And then they have to fight the monsters and they're shaking up soda cans mm-hmm. to distract the monsters. And the monsters are like, oh, that's mildly annoying. And then... Uh, and got then kid, they, lo- kid logic. Yeah, and you, then they win. What, what do we have? What's our weapon? Well, I know of soda cans spray. So Great. That, that's the way they fight off the monsters. Great. All right, next episode. I don't believe you don't love this. <laughs> I, I don't. I want to love this. All right. The next episode is Teacher Creature, mm-hmm. uh, in which their new, I think it's a substitute teacher. Yeah. Uh, played by Stuart Pankin, who mm-hmm. I remember as the bad guy from Mannequin 2 on the move. Um, <laughs> you know Stuart Pankin. He was, he was in uh, The Silence of the Hams. There you go. He's, he's a character actor you've seen, but he never had that like that mm-hmm. one big role where you can point to go, oh, don't you remember? He was that guy in that thing. And he was go, in, oh, yeah. He was in Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. Yeah, like that mm-hmm. level. Of, uh, uh, but yeah, he's funny. I actually really like him a lot. Um, he plays like this mean new substitute teacher who's like mm-hmm. having him dissect frogs. Uh, they are assigned, they're talking in class. The dudes are assigned to get more frogs from the local swamp. So they can die. And I like when the kids are seen dissecting their frogs. They're like holding the frog corpses and like bashing them into each other, like Beavis and Butthead, because. Not all kids are grossed out by that. They, yeah. Some some of them do like just sort of like cut open brains. Well, and, and again, stuff. it's a gross universe. They're being yeah. taught medieval torture. <laughs> like, so, <laughs> so they they go out into the local contaminated swamp, pick up some radioactive frog eggs, which Stuart Pankin then accidentally eats. Yeah, he's like making a sandwich, and he accidentally puts his knife uh, not mm. in the mayo jar. But in the f- contaminated frog egg jar, mm. then he eats the frog eggs, and then over the course of the episode, he s- gradually turns into a frog monster. Yeah, and he starts romancing while mm. he's at it. Their English teacher. Oh, uh-huh. um, and they actually have some sweet moments where he makes her sandwiches out of flies, and she doesn't know. Mm. But just in case the audience doesn't get it, they put a neon sign on the screen saying f- Fri- fly. "fried fly sandwich." Get it. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> and he like uses his giant tongue to like grab flowers off of a tree and hand mm. them to her, and it's it's kind of nice. It's kind of kind of sick. They the English teacher mm. he was a recurring role, and for some reason I'm not seeing her name on a, on. A, That's I'm Lorraine thinking. Newman. That's Lorraine Newman. Yeah. Really? Okay. Um, no kidding. Well, uh, anyway, she keeps talking about. The, the myth of the princess and the frog or the fable of the princess and the mm. frog and you kiss the frog and he becomes a prince and I kept thinking that was going to be relevant and <laughs> like then a, like a kiss would actually unlock like something a, like a kiss would cure him like mm. oh he's a monster well no you actually need to look past his monstrous behavior and realize that he's a human being too and I actually really care about him smooch and everything is okay. Mm. Uh, nope. He just dies. Yep. <laughs> they just kill the monster. And I'm like, why would you, why did you even establish that theme? <laughs> what were you doing? <laughs> that's, that's so weird and subversive. Like, I liked this episode just because it was kind of messed up. Uh-huh. Like, it was not, it, it was so obvious where it was going. And that's not where it went at all. Mm. And I kind of respected that. <laughs> like, I kind of respected that. So, fair, well played, Bone Chillers, well played. Actually, kill the monster. Yeah, uh, the next episode is called Back to School. Mm. 
Um, and this is the one where they get a new cafeteria chef. Yeah. I didn't oh, realize she's, she's the lunch lady. Yeah, to get the new lunch lady. Well, and, they had a uh, lunch dude before. They had a lunch dude before who looks. Uh, he was played by an actor named not Buddy Guy. Uh, <laughs> um, he looks a lot like a lot like uh, Alice Cooper. Uh, Miles Dougal is the name of the actor because he played Carl. No, not Miles Dougal. Um, Miles Dougal. No, he played Carl. The, All right, whatever. Anyway. But uh, yeah, they, they get a new lunch lady because he's uh, he, he serves food that is unpalatable. Yeah. Uh, this is maybe one of the most persistent and, for me, persistently amusing f- facets of just kid entertainment in general. That of gross food. Yeah. Um, like, just mystery. It's like something that was in Calvin and Hobbes comic strips. Mm-hmm. You can't do that on television. Yeah, had d- that a lot. The mystery meat the, at the diner. Yeah, like the mystery meat. Like, well, the meatloaf is coming to life and chasing you. And it was really common for of, kids. If you think about it, because mm-hmm. when you're a kid... And so your, your palate you, isn't very sophisticated. A, your palate isn't sophisticated. Mm. B, you're being introduced to a lot of new foods for the first time. The first mm. time you had certain international cuisines, or your first time you had sushi, raw fish, mm. ew, and you don't realize how delicious it is. Also, when you're a kid, you go to school, and a lot of the school food it's super substandard is, yeah. is barely food. You ever have a taco snack? <laughs> I don't even want to know what that is. It's like a burrito with taco stuff in it, but it always looks like it was microwaved oh. yesterday and oh. then reheated again. It ma- it's still one of the grossest foods I've ever had in my life. I've eaten French fries I could see through. Like, they were just... <laughs> it's just awful, awful garbage that food. That stuff is going to make us die young. Yeah, like, it, it's still in my system, and I yeah. ate it when I was 15. You know, yeah, it's, it's, it's really gross. I've never had pizza like they had pizza at the cafeteria oh, God, at the like, school. Like, it was like, all like... Like, you could cut another pizza with the edge of that pizza and and or I, or it was so soggy it was uh, basically just square slop and and i understand that it is a super cliche to have you know we're eating fly paste with you know gray lumps today it always cheers me up to see that in children's entertainment yeah it, it is just so reliable and recognizable it's like slipping into a warm bowl of slop it is terrific so that they have an entire story based around it makes my heart fill with warmth. Yeah. So they have a new lunch lady, mm. and the new lunch lady doesn't feed them slop; feeds them actual food, mm. like she, pizza well, that looks like pizza, and, and so and everyone's like ecstatic, engorging themselves. And and they pass around like big, big, gigantic platters of cookies are a recurring motif on this show, mm-hmm. and they always look like those gigantic grocery store cookies, like a little too perfect. Mm-hmm. Like twice as much sugar as they ought to have, so of course you can't stop eating them, even though they're awful. They're so good. Well, you know those like really those they're practically just batter with like an inch thick of that horrible frosting, and they're really waxy and terrible. I know. And and you can eat eight of them, and then your heart stops. They're so good. and they're so good, and you know that you're eating the <laughs> devil. That's what they're serving in this episode. So everyone likes the food, mm. but everyone likes the food a little too much, and, uh, and they become addicted. They become addicted, and then they the become food. mean, and then they become flies, and then and then yeah, then f- like g- gigantic maggots are seen crawling around in their necks and stuff, it's, and then we learn that the one. new lunch lady is a fly. I don't quite a giant get fly lady, and they put gigantic. Why is the food more delicious because she's a fly? That I couldn't figure out. Well, flies like sweet stuff, right? They're attracted to like sugars and and yeah. They're also attracted so, to garbage, though. It really wouldn't 
matter what you fed them. I suppose not. Yeah. All, yeah. Wh- I don't. Th- there's a there's a okay. disconnect somewhere in the middle this, there. This is a fly. <laughs> a fly. Okay. Look, it's a fly woman in a nightmare universe. All right. Stop looking for the way it works. It just is. <laughs> just let it let the filth wash over you, man. <laughs> So the evil fly woman Cancel is serving, too soon. Let the filth let the wash filth over wash over you. That's our next T-shirt. Uh, yeah. The the appliance, like the fly eye appliance, they put on the actress was clearly yeah. opaque because All the right. actress wasn't asked, asked to move around a lot. She was clearly like going to bump into stuff otherwise. Uh, yeah. So she's trying to reproduce by feeding fly eggs to high school students. It's a efficient way to do that, I suppose. And uh, and and Zach, sorry, Fitz, uh, decides to defy her for a while, but then tastes some of her lasagna. Oh no, big mistake! And gets addicted to it the way Fry does to slurm. <laughs> and uh, and the end, they defeat her. And and in the end, well, in the end, she turns into a giant fly, and it's a pretty cool looking fly suit. You know the visual effects in this, like the pr- they're all practical for the most part. There's like a, oh. a little CG here and there for like animation, but yeah, ninety eight percent of it's it like, is pretty practical. It's pu- puppets and makeup, yeah. And there is such a charm to it because they're actually trying to make it a little spooky, like a little yeah. creepy. Like, like there's like a if, giant if I, spider that seen... looks like a fake giant spider, mm. but it's really sharp and spindly legged. And mm. it, if you were in a haunted house experience, like in your neighborhood, you would go, they did a good job on that spider. Yeah, And, and, and the, the soup monster in episode one, the sp- the, the yeah. makeup on some of the werewolves in the last episode is pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty cool. uh, I like the look of the mummy even. And mummy, yeah. mummies are hard to make look interesting. Yeah. Uh, so the next episode is Franken Turkey. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you would think they would have saved for a November episode. They did not. Uh, and this Where they have to save the life of a turkey puppet. Yeah, so there's a turkey <laughs> puppet that they're going to kill and feed to the whole school. Uh-huh. Which is a weird and, thing and, to and, parade in front of and, the school. And, well, what I love is that almost everyone is completely full of glee at the thought of murdering this turkey. Yeah. Everybody and, has it in for this turkey puppet. And our heroes are just like, do we have to kill the turkey? And everyone's like, yeah. And they're like, what if we get a different turkey and kill and eat that turkey? Well, and I'm like, that doesn't solve the fucking I, problem, I, I, does I, it, kids? I love their completely backward ethic to this. Like, we <laughs> need to save the life of this particular turkey puppet that has a really annoying voice and, and a worried face. <laughs> it, it looks as bad as that thing from Thanksgiving. Oh, you shut your <laughs> mouth. Nothing okay. looks as bad okay. as that thing from Thanksgiving. It looks better than that thing from Thanksgiving because turkey Slightly. from Thanksgiving Thanksgiving is that's terrible that's a terrible movie that it's not even so, you it's not even a good that, bad movie you want to love that movie mm. just the name of it you're just like oh, oh I, this is gonna be fun it's not actually. it's not it's no, not it's, not, it's not funny no. it's not nothing yeah. don't watch Thanksgiving it's I know there aren't a lot of options for Thanksgiving themed horror movies or in general any Thanksgiving movies mm. do not fall down the Thanksgiving rabbit hole and there's it's, several of them now there's a, so yeah there's at least maybe three of them oh, there's at least God. three of them now oh um, they're pretty cheap they already bought the puppet <laughs> <laughs> hey, we paid fifty dollars for this puppet. You paid fifty dollars for that. <laughs> so, uh, in order to save the life of the turkey, they decide to build a turkey, and not like a turkey dummy, like a fake turkey that they can just sort of set up and pretend that it's a turkey. Right. They decide to create life, and our protagonists slap together like a butterball turkey they get at the market, and like a bunch of staples and bird wings and other strange things 
And they shock it to life like a Frankenstein monster, and they put this now new living abomination that they've created in the pen, waiting for it to be killed. Yeah, good ethic, guys. Hold on, hold on. We we don't never forget uh, the words Mm. of the great Eddie Redmayne. (laughs) I create life, (laughs) and I can take it just as easily. Like when you're God, it uh, doesn't matter. So they're, pl- they're God. God just creates all of us, and then He murders us. They're 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 pl- they're <laughs> they're doing that for turkeys. They're playing God without reading the instructions, and uh, they're playing Where are the instructions. Who yeah, has I guess them? They're, they're playing God, but they're playing the Popomatic version. <laughs> there you go. And uh, of course, the Franken turkey gets loose and starts menacing them. And the Franken turkey looks pretty cool. It looks like a robot turkey, and it's a good puppet. It spreads its, its wings it's menacingly. Funny. Yeah, like it'd be a really good. It'd be a really good puppet on MST3K. Like it's pretty good. Yeah, it's spreads. Then, anyway, it menaces. It's you know what it is. It's mm. fucking Frankenweenie, except they eat Frankenweenie at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they eat Frankenweenie. That's there. I love how morbid that is, though. That they yeah. just they just eat it. I wish it had that like. That sting of an Invader Zim episode, though, like where it actually, it's, where it's the morbidity not, was, didn't feel like an accident. It's it's not quite as like dark or as nihilistic as all that. It's it's yeah. a little bit more manic and crazy. And that and there's something that reeks of lack of commitment to that that makes me like hmm. not enjoy it as much. And, it, it and it's like Adam Rifkin. So you'd yeah. th- like Adam Rifkin was the one who adapted this into TV. It's he's got the creation credit. He directed most of the episodes under a pseudonym, hmm. but uh, he. Um, he has that dark sensibility. I've seen the dark backward. I, I'm sorry. Mm. Ugh, it's lit. Mm. And I guarantee you he wanted it to be darker than it was. Yeah, there, there's probably some anything. suit who said, scale that back a little I'm bit. I'm sure, and I'm sure. But you know, like at the same you know time, I'm not sure if I believe that, because I've seen this show. Richard Elfman gets involved in the next episode. There was no way anybody told him to scale anything back, because this film, film, this TV series is just way off the rails. It's way off the rails, but I'm talking mm. about tone. Okay. The tone can't be too dark. Okay. So make sure it's goofy. Mm. Case in point, the next episode is Mummy Dearest, mm. uh, in which uh, there is an alligator monster of some kind. I may have skipped this episode. No, it's it, a this mummy. This is the it's mummy. A, it's a mummy episode. And, it's and actually, the mummy's played by Doug Jones. So we went into... That's true. That's kind mm. of fun. Uh, and this is before people knew who Doug Jones was. So yeah. That's extra cool. Um, yeah, Doug Jones, he was the the brilliant physical performer. He's in Star Trek Discovery mm. and uh, he was the, the Vampire Slayer. He was, in the, he was the monster in uh, The Shape of Water. Yeah, he's fantastic. Mm. Um, so when we were reviewing a bunch of shows in particular from like the 80s, like shows like The mm. Last Precinct, one thing we discovered is that every crappy show mm. eventually gets to a mummy episode and a person in a gorilla suit episode. We mm. will get both of these with bone chillers. <laughs> and this is the mummy episode. And unlike uh-huh. and unlike a lot of mummy episodes, there's actually like another gag on top of it, which is that they're doing like a really crappy high school production of like Anthony and Cleopatra. Mm-hmm. And the mummy attacks in the middle of it, and they keep having to go out on stage and like and pretend that the show the show must go on. Yeah, and uh, just stall and for time while the, the mummy the, is trying to like in, get an ancient curse off the ground and, backstage, which is kind of funny. And the, the audience is totally into everything. We cut. There's a lot of good reaction shots, and they're all like dancing in unison. It feels like this epi- this whole episode. In fact, all of the ones that Richard Elfman directed, he did I think three or four of them. Mm-hmm. 
Richard Elfman, by the way, <laughs> uh, has done Forbidden Zone, mm-hmm. uh, Shrunken Heads, Modern Vampires, really, really crazy movies. He's wonderful. He, uh, he, yeah, yes, is Danny Elfman's brother, um, and they did Forbidden Zone together. They sort of formed this big sort of wild traveling how do, how do you even describe the mystic knights of the oingo boingo like in their early days i don't even fucking know man it's yeah, like the, an evil carnival but beautiful it, it, yeah it's like this this weird nightmare carnival burlesque that they did and yeah. the the episodes that richard elfman directed feel like burlesque they feel like something that you would see in between strip acts of some really seedy <laughs> nightclub in the middle of new jersey like in in the early 1980s when there, nobody was watching so yeah th- there's this weird proscenium within this episode where we get to see the mummy attack people on stage within the show and it it all starts to feel very meta that we're watching this weird sort of grand guignol for kids going on in front of us that these large puppets are just fretting about making weird noises the story is they resurrect a mummy. It turns out one of the props at the school is a just a mummy, like yeah. a real mummy, a real cursed mummy. And you buy it at this school. And you buy it, yeah. It's at totally school, totally makes yeah, sense. Probably, yeah. It's probably cheaper to get mm-hmm. a real mummy. Um, the uh, oh golly, Lexi looks like his ancient love, yeah, and he like wants Nefertiti to Nefertiti or yeah. whatever. And what was it? It's, oh, it's the plot of the mummy, you know, yeah. the, trying to resurrect your dead girlfriend. That's that's the whole theme of all the mummy movies. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, he goes after Lexi. Um, Zach is <laughs> just call him Zach. Okay, Zach is a, his name is Fitz. Fitz wants to kiss the just popular girl, and he gets to, but she has a loving cup over her head in this weird sort of slapstick Marx Brothers universe gag. Uh, I love it. I, I love everything about it. I love the idea. I don't think implementation is great, but the idea mm. is pretty clever, and I appreciate that they found a new way to do mm. the mummy. The episode. mummy episode. So fair enough. The next episode mm. is called Charlotte's Revenge. Uh, which is a great title, actually, for a, for an episode about a giant spider that runs amok in the school and starts mm-hmm. attacking everybody. This is the one where I thought the spider puppet looked again. It's it's fake. No it's it's super conf- fake. Yeah. No one ever confuse it for a real spider, even if it was tiny. Mm. Uh, but it looks neat, so I'm fine the, with it. <laughs> something like like a scary sharp spider puppet that like isn't really well articulated. That like moves its legs a little and it's clearly on a roller. For me, I don't know, maybe it's just because of the stuff I was raised on, but that will always be scarier and and much more visceral than a really realistic CGI spider. Well, every time they do like a CGI or like any sort of large spider, mm. it moves like a tarantula. Mm. Tarantulas are slow. Yeah. That's the thing. This thing kind of skitters un- yeah. in- unpredictably. Like, like it doesn't it's move believably, by, but it moves quick. It's being made by it's being pulled by a puppeteer, and there's sort of a weird ecstatic truth, if you will, to, to that those jerky movements because they feel like something an animal like it, unpredictable the way an animal would be. Yeah, when you're doing CGI, you have to plan every movement ahead of time because you're animating it. Yeah, and it uh, every move feels calculated, and that's less scary to me. Yeah. Um, I think it, it was in is it Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets with the spiders, the giant spider god? Uh, I think the giant, I think it was in the first one. It was uh, it was mm. a sorcerer's stone because they go off into the woods. No, it was the and centaur was in the woods in the first one. The, the spider, spider spider was in the woods. I think in this it was the first or the second. Yeah, it was one of the first two. Yeah, but because of the in the first two they were still using a lot of practical effects. It wasn't all CGI just yet. You know, the later movies, they went to pretty much just all CGI. But, uh, yeah, I remember that there were a lot of, like, little tiny CGI spiders 
but when they met the spider god out in the woods, I think it was a practical effect. And that thing looked mm-hmm. really scary. Aragog is the name of the spider, and it was in Chamber of Secrets. Chamber of You're Secrets. Right. That's You're what right. I thought. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure that'll come that, up on the Schmodown someday. Cham- Aragog. Yeah. Remember it. Chamber of Secrets is my favorite Harry Potter movie. I buy that. Yeah. It's, I like that one. That mm. one's, it's better than the original. Um, okay, so they f- defeat the giant spider. Mm-hmm. Anyway, episode seven, the best one. <laughs> is this the one with Mary Warnoff and Paul Bartel? Fuck yes, it is. <laughs> Romeo and Juliet. Okay. First of all, Paul Bartel and Mary Warnoff, they're a package deal. You don't get one without the other. <laughs> Not a married couple, just good friends. They work yeah. together all the time. And they had a great rapport, and uh-huh. you just constantly, and they'll just show up in anything. Like, they'll show up for like one scene in Chopping Mall. That's right. Which is actually, I like Chopping well, Mall quite a bit. They, but they, like, they were they were Corman players, and that's a Julie yeah. Corman joint. So, yeah. yeah. But Paul Bartel, you know, he directed a lot. Mary Warnoff was in a lot of his stuff. Mm. But like, anytime they would just, they would just pop up in movies. Mm. And Rock and Roll High School. They're so good. My, I love both of them. I love them as performers. I love Paul, mm. Paul Bartel as a director. Mary Warrenoff, I wish she acted more. She's, she's still around yeah, and she's yeah. still great. Um, but she, she was a Warhol factory girl. Oh my God. <laughs> they are cult gods. Like yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. cult cinema, if you do not, if you're not familiar with them, you haven't seen enough cult movies, you get cracking. <laughs> They're so charming and wonderful yeah, start, start, and, start with eating raw and, and they're just kind of goony like they're just sort of like if you would if you if you met them at a party you would mm. get the impression that they're trying to lure you back to their house for a for three-way a yeah, yeah. and you would go maybe kind of go there <laughs> like maybe like you're, you're traveling through europe you run into them in a cafe in italy the americans and you get to talk to them and you know that they're into swinging and you're just waiting for them to pop the question and you haven't decided how you're going to answer yet mm. because they're really they're not Paul Bartel isn't conventionally attractive in a lot of ways, but they have so much personality, and you just know they'd be... Anyway, we're off track. We love Paul Bartel and Mary Warrenoff. Uh-huh. So seeing them show up in this kid's show is... It, oh, it, gives a, it, a, it gives it the show a lot of street cred. A lot of street cred. Yeah. A lot. So, uh, and by the way, even though we didn't really see his face, I think he's in the first episode. Mm. Ron Jeremy has a role in this show. Really tiny role is like one of the monsters. One of, he's just one of the monsters in the background. Yeah. But that's, that's Ron a, Jeremy? What the hell are you doing? That's really subversive and weird. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Amber the, Lynn will show up later. What the hell are you doing? The gag in Romeo and Juliet mm. is Zach. Mm. I'm just calling him Zach. Fitz. His name is Fitz. Zach. Yeah. Fitz Zach. Fitz Zach. Fitz Zach. <laughs> uh, he's, uh, he's in love with this new girl at school and mm. she's really into him. Like she shirks the hot guy. Yeah. Like who's like totally into her. In the, hot, to, the hot guy who's trying to cheat on his girlfriend. I mean, but, he's a yeah. dick, but he's like conventionally attractive. Mm. He's the alpha male, if you want to use that outdated mm. terminology. Um, like, and she just immediately goes into the eh, not super popular, but not unpopular either kind of nerd, kind of dweeby guy. Mm. And she keeps feeding him. Like she's constantly like, oh, you should have my brownie. Mm. You should have the rest of my brownie. I, I made you cookies. Like those, she's, those, those same damn cookies. Yeah. Told you they're back. She's fattening him up because it turns out she and her parents, played by Paul Bartel and Mary Warnoff, are ghouls. <laughs> and they have to eat something. Trying, trying to fatten him up. In this version of ghouls, they have to eat one person every 100 years in mm-hmm. order to like survive forever. It's like, uh, oh, uh, um, 
that stretchy guy from the X-Files. He like awakes oh, yeah. every 30 years and eats a couple livers. Fluke man. No, the fluke man was the fluke man. Oh, I apologize. I'm talking about the stretchy guy who could like squeeze through like small openings and, and ate livers. Man. All right, anyway. No, fluke man lived in the sewers. He was a fluke. <laughs> well, yeah, but he could still move into small crevasses, right? Then he like go through like the various... No, no he, was, he was just he was just just a liver fluke the size of a man. Apologies. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Get your X-Files monsters right, damn it. Jesus, all right, fine. God. Tombs, his name was Tombs. I am sorry. Jeez. Um, <laughs> so angry. So basically, in this kid's show, like the last like five, ten minutes of this kid's show, mm-hmm. is Paul Bartel and Mary Warrenoff in okay monster makeup, mm-hmm. just chasing around a bunch of kids like in Scooby-Doo, mm-hmm. but they're going to eat them. <laughs> and there's something that's just... Mm-hmm. Delightful about that, and mm. to the point where this is an episode where, specifically because I can see Paul Bartel and Mary Morinoff doing it, this could be a movie. <laughs> Just kid doesn't realize his girlfriend's parents mm. are ghouls, gets chased mm. around by him a lot. They're played by Paul Bartel and Mary mm. Warrenoff. Yes, mm. the barbecue under the stairs. It's just really, it's great. I can totally picture it. And I, I love that Fit Zach uh, kind of goes a little loony at the end of the episode. He is sort of like addicted to their food. Yeah. So they like slap him awake. He's like, wake up, wake up. They're going to eat you. He's just wearing a stuffed sweatshirt. Like they didn't even bother giving him a fat suit. Yeah. And and he wakes up and the only thing he can say is like, I want potatoes. I want to eat your cookies. And, you know, in this really amusingly funny voice. Episode that, eight. that made me laugh. Episode eight is the gorilla episode. It's called Gorilla My Dreams. As it would be. Get it? Hold um, on. Hold on. Gorilla My Dreams. And we're good. The gorilla falls in love with Brian. Yeah, so uh, uh, Brian has to go into the school refrigerator slash meat locker, and there he finds an explorer, like a missing person, <laughs> which is actually pretty funny. Yeah. yeah. And because it's been there for so like, long. Like Ed- it's Edmund like, Hillary is frozen yeah. in their freezer. And there's there's basically an abominable she-gorilla. Well, well it, the she-gorilla is frozen in the the tundra inside this gigantic freezer and there are two gigantic buttons one is a gigantic one that says do not ever push this button and the other one's a little tiny one that like closes the door behind him yeah and of course he pushes the wrong button yeah and she escapes and she is in love with him and she gets into jealous rages whenever anyone talks to him and this is uh, also the episode in which linda cardellini kind of realizes she has a crush on him well he's always putting the moves on sarah and she's always rebuffing him and that's kind of just their relationship it's kind of antagonistic mm-hmm. she tolerates him but they're still good friends yeah like he and, never pushes it too far. Yeah, just a little flirty. He, he, yeah, he, he flirts and it's expected. And but but we realize in this episode uh, that it, she's okay with it because it's not entirely she doesn't unrequited. Yeah, yeah. and uh, when she's like, oh, yo, he's got a secret admirer because the gorilla is sending him notes. <laughs> like, <laughs> the gorilla is like hiding in the walls of the school. It has a little bow in its hair, so you know it's a girl. It's Miss Pac Man rolls. There you go. Um, At least it doesn't have like lipstick and eyeliner and a, a beauty mark. It can if it wants. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, so what she's just like, I, I don't know its choices. I yeah, don't know its life. You can do whatever it wants. It's yeah. fine. Um, but uh, yeah, so Linda Cardellini is just like, oh yeah, who would date him? Well, he's got a secret of mine. Or she, he fucking what? <laughs> he what? <laughs> oh, oh, someone's gonna die. <laughs> like, and she's great because she's Linda Cardellini, mm. and she is. Uh, cast is fine. Linda Cardellini is the only one bringing more to this than is on the are page. You ki- are you kidding? Other than the other than the adults. All right. What are the? I'm sorry. The other kids are fine, no, but they're the, mugging. John, John John Patrick White is an expert mugger. 
He does. He does it very well. He's okay. And this show knows the value of a good mugging. Okay. I, here's here's the deal. I, I was mugged. I by disagree show. on the value of a good All mugging. Right. Like that's that's my thing. If you were, if you gave me like a, was it John Patrick White? John Patrick. If you gave me John Patrick White and just said here this is worth twenty dollars, I'd be like I'll give you ten. Like that's where I'm. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm I'm like the the jerk pawn shop of like of like overacting comedians where like <laughs> I'm the only place on this side of town and I'm, and uh, everything else is closed. Hmm. So you either don't get the money tonight or you get a raw deal. Like that's me with comedians who mug to the camera. Fair. Uh, okay. the, every time any of the actors screamed, I think they were instructed to do this early in the show. This was like maybe part of the series Bible, but they had to like kind of contort their mouths in weird ways. Yeah, so you all of them like do it, including screen. Linda Cardellini. Oh, yeah, that's fine. Um, Sadia Persaud, who plays Lexi, is the only one with a good scream, however. Yeah. Like, the other ones are just sort of yelling. She's got, like, a good horror movie scream. She does. Uh, the next episode is Mr. Fitz and Dr. Hyde. In this mm-hmm. episode, Zach. Uh, he en- <laughs> he's failing science and he ends up turning himself into a Mr. Hyde character after, by- re- after reading through like the forbidden tomes in the school library and he turns into Vincent, Vincent Chevelli, who is another one of the great character actors of all yeah. time. And I was watching this episode and I was like, so it's an it's it's a kid's show mm-hmm. about someone who's not good at science and like f- transforms into character actor Vincent Chevelli. And I'm like. How did they get my dream journal? Like, because <laughs> I'm bad at science, and I would have done anything to transform into Vincent Javelli. The dude was a god. Uh, he, so, yeah, he mixes up, like, a, a batch of goop, he drinks it, and he bodily transforms into Vincent Chevelli. Yeah. And evidently, this Hyde character... Like he was born Doctor or Mr. Hyde. He was born Mr. Hyde. Mm. Like, he was... a. This isn't, like, an alter ego from within Fitz. Yeah. The, the way the story goes is there was a Hyde who like somehow encoded his DNA in a recipe. Sure. And all you know. all anybody needed to do was like to mix up a batch of goop and drink it, and he's back with all of his memories intact. Sure. And his also his clothes and his hair. Why not? <laughs> I don't know why not. I'm about to accept topiary animals. Why not? <laughs> uh, the next hey, episode is hey, that's that's from that's from Stephen King. <laughs> Yeah, and mm. and a smart director knew it was stupid and took it out of the movie. The next episode is Root of All Evil. Uh, it's Arbor Day, which the some kids in school can't quite wrap their heads around. Um, it's like, no, so it's about boats? No, that's Harbor Day. Also, that doesn't exist. <laughs> which they say, and it's like, that's Harbor Day, and that's not a holiday. <laughs> Um, so they're they're gonna like plant more plants around mm. the school, and they, they get a it. creepy uh, uh, new yardsman played by someone. Um, he, he looks like he should be like like Lemmy or something. They should have gotten right. like some celebrity guest, but no, it's just some yeah. guy. Um, and he's planting topiary animals, which are gonna eat the students allegedly. Mm. They don't actually get around to it much, and they move real real slow, and they look really cute. Yeah, like there's this like topiary hippo or something, and I'm just like, oh, I think it, I think it's it a seems, rhino. But yeah. It seems nice. And I'm they, not gonna run from that. They That's had to cool. speed speed it up because the actors inside that topiary suit, like they could only move like little tiny steps at a time. Yeah. Topiary animals are not scary. I'm gonna throw it out there. They're Stephen not. King. You don't think they're scary? No. Like wandering up and seeing this sort of they're featureless not. creature just sort of frozen. I'm in sorry. Time. If I can pluck the teeth off of the thing that's eating me, mm-hmm. it's not scary. It's not a scary monster. Well, all right. It's not. I Stanley Kubrick was 100 percent right on that point. <laughs> like the animals are dumb. Okay. Mm. They're not. They're not frightening. They put them back in that awful miniseries, which we'll get to at I some point. I can see sure. it being cute. Uh-huh. I can see them being amusing. I can see them being like charming. Scary? No. No. 
Um, so this guy is gonna kill everybody. And hey, well, uh, he, he, it turns out he's a tree. Like he is a plant. His hands have like his hands and feet have roots. Yeah, and then and they, they, he has a bunch of seeds, which are kind of his kids, and he wants to feed them. And then they solve the problem. They like tr- so in order to get rid of the topiary animals, they're like, oh, we have to distract them. So they wave baloney in the air, mm. and the topiary animals are just like, ooh, our favorite food. I don't know why they knew that because <laughs> they got a hold of my dream journal. <laughs> and then they threw the baloney into a wood chipper, mm. and then and they like, crawl in one after another. Yeah, like as, really as, slowly. As their father says, no, don't do that. Yeah, you didn't think the one that was shaped like like a, a like Bloody Mary, like she was a woman in a gown. You think the, she was kind of scary? That's the creepiest one. All right. But I still don't know if that's scary. Mm. Creepier than the others by far. I'll give you that. Mm. But then again, yeah, so am fl- I. Give me flashbacks to Annihilation. <laughs> like, I'm know? creepier than the topiary animals. So like, Well, I won't argue with that. Fair Hey-o. enough. But, like, but they basically just slowly mm. walk into a wood chipper. They, l- they literally like shamble. Of, like, like a bunch of dummies. Mm. And then uh, the bad guy gets shoved into the wood chipper mm. too. And then like... Later I love when we see their like guts spraying out the other end though. Yeah, I mean again, mm. they're 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 shrubs. <laughs> they're not scary. And then like when they think all is said and done, like the bad guy, Mr. Stump, mm. like his face is in an acorn, like ah, they, they everything got shredded except one testicle. And he's just like, <laughs> I'll be back. My face is on my ball. <laughs> really weird. Plant my ball at wounded knee. The next episode is called Edgar Allan Possession. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember they go to Edgar Allan Poe High School. Mm. There's a bust of Edgar Allan Poe, and this pisses off Principal Percival Pussman. Principal Percival Pussman. Principal Percival Pussman. Had a pet pig Principal named Pussman. Porky. Mm. Unique New York. Unique New York. Unique New York. Peter Percival Patterson had a pet pig named Porky. I slipped the sheet. This, no. <laughs> Not going to go there. Not a pheasant feather plucker or a feather plucker. Somebody I can pluck a pheasant feather. feather. Oh, man, I screwed up. Anyway, uh, Principal Pussman mm-hmm. uh, resents Edgar Allan Poe because he's dead. Because <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe is dead and he's been principal for like a century. So yeah. we don't know how old this thing is. Yeah, so he, so he decides to to rename, rename the school, school after yeah. himself and get rid of the bus. The problem is the bus was actually possessed by the ghost of Edgar Allan Poe, mm. who is now pissed. And so he... Uh, he possesses, possesses Brian. Yeah, who was uh, talking first, smack about Edgar Allan Poe. And for a second, I thought it was the same actor. Oh, yeah. The, the playing both Brian and Poe. No, Poe was played by a different actor. Um, yeah, played by Jim Beaver from Supernatural, which is kind of fun. Oh, okay. Um, and... He wants the school to be at Gompo High School again, and then he does that. He has the weirdest way. This is another one, though, where just like, again, I know it's a dumb kid show. Mm-hmm. The tiniest amount of logic would have been nice because this whole thing is, oh, I'll only possess someone who's an asshole. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, who, like, who hates Edgar Allan Poe? Then why don't you possess the principal <laughs> who did this? And then instead of like saying, I'll, I won't give you back Brian unless you make the school at Gompo mm-hmm. High School again, you could have just. In, been the principal and had him do it well, like it would have solved the problem immediately here's like, the it would thing, have been if, nice if they just could have justified it a little if, bit if you're a ghost trapped in an inanimate object and you finally see your chance to sort of escape and possess a human body have you been aware of all everything that's been going on like are you looking around and have you been listening in in various rooms in that I mean he doesn't seem too out of place like he doesn't like he he's, he's not the a, gist of it he's not like, really aware of what's going on he's just mad and he wants to murder people he doesn't care what era it is yeah he's probably not really aware of what's going on he doesn't know who's principal he has he to ask. He, he has to ask high, around. He knows, he knows the, the high school isn't named after him anymore. He's that's that's some all. That's all he knows. He's trapped in the name. That's all he knows. And he gets out. I was like, "The fuck, man!" Wow. 
But okay, I got and then he starts to ask questions. Hey, what what happened to the school? Anyway, they mm-hmm. they save the school. Moving on. Uh, the next episode is that's, sh- that's what I love though. They they work really hard to save a school that they think is hell. They never just let it go. They never well, they run away. Brian. They have to save Brian. Well, they have to save Brian. But yeah, it's like they never think to skip school. <laughs> so the next episode is really weird. It's mm. called Schmendel's Comet. Uh huh. Um, there's a comet, not Haley's Comet, but mm. kind of Haley's Comet. Only comes by once mm. every so and so. I think it's five hundred years this time. Yeah. Um, and the kids all have like a comet viewing party. Meanwhile, the jerk kids at school uh, are breaking into school in order to steal test scores so they don't have to do summer school. Mm. Meanwhile. Uh, uh, Arnie, the janitor, has like a magic wishing orb that gets recharged by the comet somehow. Mm. And the kids don't realize that when they decide to, like you do, spend an incredibly long, weird, fetishistically role-playing mm. storytelling jam session about terrible things happening to your bullies in the Middle Ages for some reason and really mm. craft the narrative and prod each other to make it more... It's the like, Decameron. It's, it's Boccaccio's The Decameron. Fuck you. <laughs> it fuck has, you, it it's The ancient, Decameron. Ancient storytelling tropes going back to the Middle Ages. This is a okay, bunch of um, weird, shitty kids. It's a bunch of Imagine kids. Imagine the worst thing that could possibly happen to their bullies and then but it the, happens the to the wishing bullies. Or, uh, unbeknownst to them, the wishing orb is actually torturing their enemies inside the school. But the way that they present it is mm. like they're on like some kind of weird like phone line, like... Ring, ring. Yeah, one nine hundred. We hate your bully too. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Your bully is in the Middle Ages. Yeah, that's the ticket. And he's being tortured by the Dark Knight. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. No, no, not the Black Knight. The Dark Knight. You know, mm. like Batman. He has the utility belt, but otherwise he's dressed like a knight for some reason. Which I'm just like the costume designer had a weird day. My mm. point is, they're, the ju- whole, they're just plundering the the ABC prop closet. The at that whole point. vibe is just this weird, weird scene with these teenagers mm. and. Yeah, this episode, they're the bad guys. They're not mm. even like, oh, they're dark and they get a gun. I was like, no, they're just evil. And I don't like them right now. Have, and I didn't have, like the episode. They have dark impulses and then they walk it back. They realize, yeah. no, they're just sort of indulging in fantasies. They don't know they're actually torturing people. They're just thinking, yeah, wouldn't it be fun if? It wouldn't, then, no. I, did, I don't do that. I've never <laughs> done that. That's weird. Mm. I don't understand, like, wishing ill upon people who hate you when you're young and everything seems hopeless. I understand that. That's that's. Mm. I'm not saying that that's the worst thing in the world as long as you never act on it. But, like... The weirdly specific time travel stories that they invent mm. are off-putting and strange. Well, and, and that's a sign that they don't actually wish ill on these people. They're good at heart, are even they? though they're freaky weirdos. All right, now I have a confession mm. to make. I thought there were only 12 episodes of this, so I didn't see the last one. Oh, no! <laughs> I didn't realize that until we started the episode and we were like halfway through the recording, and I was like, oh, crap. I didn't oh, see you didn't see Full Moon Goon? I did not see Full Moon Goon. Full Moon Goon is the one where a really bizarre European biker guy comes to the high school, and he's so freakishly goth that Sarah falls in love with him immediately, <laughs> and of course he's a werewolf. Of course he's a werewolf. He's a biker werewolf. Uh, whenever he appears on screen, they start playing this really wild like surf rockabilly music. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian is really jealous, and uh, she is gradually 
brought into the world of the werewolf and she's not really bitten, but she becomes a werewolf anyway. Okay. Like she becomes under and Linda Cartellini gets to wear the werewolf makeup ah, and chase fun. people around and do werewolf stuff. My f- I love the trope of <clears throat> the hunky monster. <laughs> well, like that's, really... that's all, all that Twilight is. Oh, it is. Yeah. My favorite one of that. You still haven't seen Gravity Falls, have you? No. So the first episode of Gravity Falls, which is a wonderful cartoon series, I'm going to just like, in order to sell you on it, in case you haven't seen it, I'm going to tell you like one little twist in the pilot. Mm. So it's these two kids and they go to spend the summer with their uncle and his uncle runs like a mystery shack, it's like this place of like mystery and mm. weird gizmos and trinkets and Ro- roadside attraction yeah right? you know there's a bottomless pit in the bag and it turns out this one place called gravity falls is this nexus of weirdness nice. where weird shit happens all summer and mabel the sister is really excited because you know she's like 12 she's about to be 13 and she's mm-hmm. ready to have her her twilight experience you know like oh <laughs> we're gonna go to the king of the, and we're gonna meet new people i'm gonna meet some hunky guy and the mm. first episode she meets like this really cool brooding hunky guy mm. and of course her brother is convinced he's gonna be a vampire mm. and then when he's like he takes the guy takes mabel out to the woods and he's like i have a confession to make to you and mabel's like I understand, and I'll, I'll listen to you. And then we hear inside her head, please be a vampire. Be a vampire. <laughs> and then he just says, I'm not really a human being. I'm a bunch of gnomes in a trench coat. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cute. It's really, really funny. Well, in, in the Bone Chillers universe, of course, it's, it's broadcasted right away that he's a vampire. He's got fangs, and whenever he tries to say an O sound, he ends up howling. Uh, there's an evil vampire gang. Uh, it's a vampire werewolf gang. Yeah. Um, werewolves are underutilized. They're rarely utilized. Well, it's fine here. Great. It, it's, I love a good werewolf story. It, it's, I mean, I don't it's know hard. Them, well, it's, it's hard to pull off. Think about wolves is they're kind of cute. They look like doggies. They can be menacing, but only from the right angles. And when they make werewolves, they have to make them like mutant wolves yeah. or like wolf people. Uh, if they it, just turn into a regular wolf, it's somehow yeah. just not terrifying. It's kind of anticlimactic, yeah. It's not t- you want it to be giant like an American wolf in London. Yeah, you want so, it to be humanoid like in The Howling. So the, the, the list of great werewolf movies can fit on one hand. There's yeah. not a lot of good it's werewolf American movies. American Wolf in London. There's, there's Ginger Snaps. There's, there's the Howling. There's and there's the Wolfman, and that's kind of it. Yeah, you could argue and the, and, and the Company of Wolves. You could argue either Neil in, the, in the Company of Wolves or um, Dog Soldiers to like round out the top five. Mm, dog Soldiers. Dog Soldiers is cool. Werewolves not a great movie. Mm. I'm going to say that right now. But the, I the wolves to, are fine. I understand if you want to put it. If I saw a still photograph of that thing from Bad Moon and think, wow, that's a great werewolf, then you see it move and it's stupid because it looks I, like a puppet. I love that movie, but the see, the visual effects are terrible. Like, <laughs> yeah, the yeah. story is great. Like oh. and the acting's really. Really and Mike, and Mike Nichols' Wolf has a pretty fun story too. Yeah, but it's not great. Well, you, werewolf stories. Yeah, yeah. Um, anywho, it's a problem, and one of the problems is they're hard to make look good. Mm. Um, it's a difficult effect to pull off. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so this one ended on a, a wolf, uh, a werewolf episode. episode. Mm. Great. And the, yeah, and there's no conclusion or anything. There wasn't like some sort of it's know something this? to bring the series together. So it's, we had, just goes off on this weird tangent. We had 13 episodes uh-huh. uh, here. Did you notice that there were a lot of bug-centric episodes for one half season of television? Well, there was a spider and there was a fly. There was yeah. a lot of eating involved. Um, yeah, there the were, frog there had was, a bunch of bug stuff There in were it at least too. two wish-fulfillment episodes, and th- that's really common. I mean, look at uh, look at Friday the 13th, the series. Mm. 
Those were all wish fulfillment episodes, and everybody's wishes were fulfilled by blood sacrifices. It's always, it's always ironic. It was the same theme every time, and yet that show worked because of that kind of reliable formula. Well, I just think this is something that just draws on a lot of the same tropes that were floating around kid horror fiction at the time, but it was playing it just so bizarrely that it became fun to watch again. Didn't yeah. make it necessarily fresh or novel, but no. it made it fun. Well, I, I bet this probably was kind of novel at the time because mm. it's got like. An eagerness to run up. It's like, um, okay, we're not actually going to go in the haunted mausoleum, but I dare you to run up and touch it. <laughs> like, that's this show. Like, yeah, it's not yeah. actually, like, we're not actually going to do anything too daring. Occasionally we'll be a little morbid, but... Not really. It's still going to be really manic and Jim Carrey-ish and its, it's general, uh, its uh, general humor it's, vibe. It's called Bone Chillers and it has horror iconography, but it's a it's a comedy show. It's a horror comedy it show, and it's and, a hell of a lot better than um, Monster Squad, the show. The show. That movie is a classic. The show. No, I like the show better than the movie. You can <laughs> shut yourself right the hell up with that bullshit. Look, I, I told you. I, I told you, as I said in my text messages, this is my jam. This is this is, this is something that just caters to everything I was consuming at the time and everything that pleased me at the time and still pleases me to this day. And I wish this kind of manic, bizarre, cult-savvy horror comedy was still sort of made. Uh, th- this is a, f- a show that was created by Adam Rifkin, who did yeah. cult movies. It was directed by Richard Elfman that did cult movies. It had Paul Bartell and Mary Warnoff and yeah. other cult figures in it. When it, this show worked, uh-huh. it worked really good. And I totally get it. I think I would have liked it when I was a kid. When it didn't work, it was just kind of trying too hard to entertain me. Like, I appreciate the effort it went to, because God knows mm. there's a lot of shows that don't. Or, like, kind of just phone it in. Or, like, you can tell people involved don't give a shit. The people on this show cared. And I can tell that. I like that. Um, It's one of those shows where I don't think if this exact version of the show Mm. were on now, I would watch it. But then again, I'm an adult. Okay. I think if, uh, uh, you know, kids, this is is okay. I kind of wish... Okay, so I talked at the beginning of the episode about how the commercials set the tone Mm. for childhood entertainment in the 90s in particular as really manic, Mm. just constant sugar rush mentality. And I think that mentality spilled over into Bone Chillers. And I kind of wish... Could it be that just your age? No, no. You can't can't speed up to that pace anymore? Again, even as a kid, I thought it was a bit much a lot of the time. So here's what I'm going to say. If Bone Chillers... Like energy level and the way that it like oversells everything, mm-hmm. like every you know every scream has to have like a shaky mouth mm-hmm. or, or every transformation sequence has to have sped up fast motion of people just doing dumb shtick for no mm-hmm. reason. Um, if that's like at a ten in terms of manic, mm-hmm. if this was at an eight point five, I would love it. <laughs> just it's a, just a li- one notch too high it's for just you. A little high. It's just yeah, it's, a little tweaked out for me. It's, a, right. it's on a little too much it's, meth. It's, I want a little <laughs> less meth. I want just the teensiest bit of meth See, I, in my I, kids' shows. It, there are shows that are like just breathlessly frantic and go way too far with it. And because of the because of the sincerity of the, the people who are raking it, the people who actually care about this, that crank is, well, how to put this? They wanted it to be on 10. And they put it on 10, and it's the perfect 10. It just, they, they knew when to fire on all cylinders, and they just wanted to, to push it over the top, and I'm glad they did. Um, I'm not sure if this is what the original author intended, and mm-hmm. 
Uh, Betsy, hey, we didn't read the books. We didn't read the books, but from what I under, I did a little reading on the books, and I, I figured out that they were just like Goosebumps, an anthology series, and it was Adam Rifkin's idea to set it, or some other showrunner's idea to set it all in one location with the same characters. Which I think, but, is a good, well, I think it's a fun idea. But uh, the sh- every episode was paired with the author appearing on camera to talk to the audience about writing. And she would give writing advice. And it was always the most horrifying stories she would tell, not in terms of gore, but in how unhappy her childhood must have been. She kept on talking about, well, I was picked on a lot at school, so I wrote down these stories about how my bullies were tortured to death. And that really let me escape my horrific situation. Or well, I guess like, that explains uh, the Comet episode. Yeah, or, or you know, I, I always felt that, you know, I, I just didn't have any power. So I imagined myself as a murderer, killing everybody I hated. So, and that's a really... And, and they would all, it always ended with the same catchphrase. Think it up, write it down. And it was encouraging kids to write. Of course, it was it's always like kid, encouraging kids to write revenge fantasies. Yeah. And she looks like just a regular suburban Texan mom. Like she wasn't like Anne Rice in goth outfit, you know, with long nails or anything. Yeah. She, she didn't come out with these sort of morbid stories. She just was like a regular person. Well, and if you watched like if you watch Saturday morning shows at the time, like occasionally you'd see something with a mummy in it or like that. But like mm. the sort of glee that this show has with horror iconography. And again, it's never really scary, mm. but like the desire to appreciate it, like the protagonists love horror movies and they love monsters and they mm. love staying up till midnight to watch the Sven show. Mm. They're celebrating this kind of artistic appreciation, this kind of fandom, which even if the show isn't above like the kids mm. horror pay grade, uh, the show celebrates that. The show yeah. encourages you, like, when you're ready, there's real horror out there, and, it, and it's fun, and you're going to like it, and it can be a healthy outlet. Well, and, I think and that's they, a good thing. Well, what, what they sell is that, like like you just said, they sell that it's fun. And I'm going to compare this to something like the original Fright Night, which is also, also celebrates that sort of midnight movie host, and that midnight movie host ends up fighting a vampire. emotional core to that. But, but, but exactly. Yeah. They're trying to sell that there's something kind of important to this sort of fandom and, yeah. and that it's it's really kind of portentous and really serious and that it actually like, in, infects your brain and, and it seems a little too genuine in a movie like Fright Night. Here it's like this is wild and silly and kind of dumb and we love it all the more for it. Mm-hmm. And this is a show exactly like that. This is a show that Sven Gulli would be involved with. Yeah. Um, and that kind of cult appreciation is something you don't see a lot on TV. It's mm. a world I was deeply involved in. I, you know, I went to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I incessantly watched Forbidden Zone. These, this, these were my movies. This was my world. And and even though this came out later in my high school career, this was something I probably should have been seeing when I was thirteen. I, I'm really like interested mm. in because like so many, so much children's entertainment is mm. safe, and and I get it. It should be a lot of it should be safe. Mm. A lot of it should be comforting and nurturing and teaching really positive ideals but there comes a point where you're not quite ready for Stephen King mm-hmm. or Rocky Horror but you're ready to start getting ready and it, there's a couple of things that are like training wheels mm-hmm. and I think this is it actually has a little edge to just, it just yeah. a little bit just just encourages you to like you know like for more information on sheer abject terror visit your local library <laughs> like that kind of thing and I think this is this is one of them I think um, the show Kind of the movie, definitely. Uh, the Mortal Instruments 
is mm. just like it's it's totally a YA generic fantasy, but it's a little bit more. There's just a little bit more leather. There's a little little tiny bit of kink in there. Yeah, tiny just a like, bit of kink. Just a little, like you know, mm. like. Mm. Does Not, he need his shirt off? No. Okay. I, I don't think it's enough to make it like the movie interesting, but uh, yeah, it's in there. It's like it's, it's or like oh like oh great CCH Pounder, she's really really cool. Oh great, now there's a lamprey fl- like flying out of her neck. <laughs> Neat. Oh, that dog's head split in half, and now mm. the the split part's trying to bite me. Like that's that, mm. <laughs> and like it's sort of like woo. Like so, it, as training wheels, I I dig the show. This is just one of those shows where we have to accept that sometimes. Kids shows are intended very specifically for kids. Mm. I we there's Gravity Falls is a show that appeals to adults as well. Invader Zim appeals to adults as well. Avatar: Last Airbender. Mm. There's a lot of kids shows that do appeal to adults yeah. because they're just that well crafted and they're telling real real stories. It is okay for kids shows to be just for kids. So even though I, as an adult watching the show for the first time, I was a little bit just like like mm. when you're babysitting and it's just like when's the when's the kid gonna go to sleep. <laughs> when's that kid gonna go to sleep i only gave it two pixie sticks when's it gonna go to sleep mm-hmm. like that's like that's the vibe like i'm bored or like, i'm tired of it but if i was a kid or if i had kids this would be fine so ultimately mm-hmm. if it lasts 100 episodes it'd be the same thing over and over again yeah. i don't i i, 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 I would have been okay with that i would have been fine with it too i just don't mm-hmm. think cons- asking where it would have gone is, and, is and, even and worth d- asking because it's so obvious i actually didn't know that about about its cancellation that it was actually really highly rated and abc just decided to flush it or disney decided to flush yeah, it they wanted they only wanted to sell their own product so mm-hmm. they weren't going to make any money off mm-hmm. of that because it wasn't theirs so they canceled it like assholes they, they, um, ca- they canceled it and they own it still so there's I no guess, way there's no way we're gonna see works. it ever um, unless some other company buys abc but you know disney wants to buy everything including you <laughs> um but yeah was it canceled too soon uh yeah yes it was it was canceled too soon absolutely I, I, i'm not in love with it but it's cute and well, i think it serves a function that's Nice. This is one of those things where I'm so fond of it and I'm fond of what we have and I'm fond of it as sort of a cult oddity that having more of it might have ruined a little bit of its charm. Sort of like Police Squad. Like if there was more of it, we wouldn't remem- remember it quite as fondly. There's there's a bunch of stories people tell about like if they release this really awesome like time life set mm. of all the episodes of the real Ghostbusters with a ton, a ton of behind the scenes stuff. Mm. I've seen some of the behind the scenes stuff and... If you'll recall, if you were around when the real Ghostbusters was on, like the first like 50 episodes or so were really good, like varying degrees mm. of really good, just high quality, decent writing, for, for, cool for, monsters for the time uh, within a sliding scale. Of, Some of, of it holds up pretty well, quality, but, but for yeah. the time it was really like above mm. what we were used to seeing. And then it started getting shitty. And there were certain things that you could see. They recast uh, Lorenzo Music as Peter Venkman. They stopped uh, ever being mean to Slimer. Slimer Mm. became like the hero of the show. And they changed the title of the show to Slimer and the Real Ghostbusters. Even before that, this started happening. One of the key signifiers you can tell from the pre, uh, the network's notes episodes Mm. were Janine... Uh, the receptionist for the Ghostbusters, who also got to be Ghostbusters sometimes, uh, in the good episode, she has pointy glasses. Mm. In the bad episode, she has round glasses. Because round, re- round is friendlier. Uh, mm. Specifically, mm. The, the research team that the, ne- cause the network oh, didn't God. give it, the network didn't give a shit. They were wow. just like, oh, just, uh, it's a hit well, movie, they, make, they, make an animated show. No, and the network never cares. They do mm. once it starts becoming a hit. All so right. what happened was, yeah, okay, who cares? And then it became so fucking popular, the network was like, well, we better take an interest. Mm-hmm. So we better make sure the show 
does what it, you know does it right so they hired like outside consultants to tell them what kids like and one of the things they said was was yeah no those pointy glasses gotta go kids are scared of pointy objects Hmm. So they changed her glasses. And <laughs> then they had like monsters that possess kids. Yeah. And, and then there was just like, yeah, Winston, yeah, Winston should be the driver of the car. Why? Cause he, cause that's what they thought he'd be good at. Winston, and just, Winston was the pragmatist. He had way more to do in the TV series than he did in any of the movies. Yeah. That's fucked up the, and the, weird. The joke in the movie was that he was just the hell. He was just an extra guy. Yeah, he was just, just the, the, the just ex, a nine to five the, the helper guy that they yeah. had to hire on because they were overworked. The, the swing shift dude. Yeah. Like, and that's fine. And and he, and he actually has the most important line of dialogue in Ghostbusters, that, and it's one of the ones nobody ever quotes. Mm-hmm. About uh, this is the end of the world because the dead have been rising from the grave, and they actually now, have like a theological conversation. In the original draft, I think they were supposed to find out he actually had like a military background, and he was actually like really well qualified oh, okay. to do stuff. He wasn't just some guy off the street. I, I, apparently, I like they cut him, that out. I like him better as just a guy off the street. Well, in any case, um, so what happens is if a show becomes a hit, mm-hmm. the network sometimes starts paying closer attention and fucking with it. Yeah. And that Some, could have happened here where if the show had lasted and been allowed to Oh, God, flourish, I can totally see that happening with you something can like see, Bone Killers. You can yeah, see, like, like the no, no more Paul Bartel. We need, we need cleaner episodes with see, nicer. You, you it needs to be more like Goosebumps, which is an even more we, toothless version. Can we just make this every episode as like the Halloween episode of Saved by the Bell? Mm. Like, that's the kind of thing I can picture them doing. I have no guarantee they would have done that, but that would be the risk. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, again, this isn't my jam, but it's not a bad show. It did what it set out to do. It's cute. Mm. Didn't really make me laugh. But, again, mm. it's made for a younger demographic. I'm not going to complain. Uh, it did make me laugh. I was yeah. I was howling like a howler monkey. Uh, okay. this, this thing, I, I can't say it enough, just pushed all my buttons. Well, uh, that is it for this week's episode of mm. Cancel Too Soon. Uh, next week, we get to do something that I want to do, and, and I want to do a... And, and you want to do shit. I want to do a failed <laughs> pilot about a cyborg dog. That's right. It's it's a show mm. we almost did in Cops with Robot Partners Month, but it didn't quite fit, mm. because it's actually about uh, a cop who gets partnered with a dog with a computer in its brain, uh, and it comes from the writer of Die Hard. Stephen E. D'Souza. Yeah. Uh, kind of was shaping blockbusters for a couple of years there. Yeah, he was. He, and this is the guy who did like Forty Eight Hours and Commando, mm-hmm. and he was just like he was like the David Goyer of his time. Like if he was, yeah. if it was like muscly but, but and more, macho, a, a little more personality than someone like David Goyer. I like David yeah. Goyer's personality, but David mm-hmm. Goyer's personality is very much like mm-hmm. shaped by nineteen eighties comic books. Yeah, like Stephen D'Souza had like this. He was the king of macho action mm-hmm. uh, from a screenwriting perspective. It's like him and Shane Black. We're like yeah, in a constant yeah, yeah. neck and neck. Like I, I imagine they actually like met at a bar mm-hmm. once and got drunk and fought each other in the back. Like <laughs> so he did a pilot episode for a show called K9000 about a cyborg cop dog. And mm-hmm. I cannot wait. Yeah, thanks, William. You're welcome. Thanks for taking us down this uh, path. You're, you're, you know what? You should get down on your hands and knees and thank me. This is only a well, pilot. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. Right? I, I just forced you to watch 13 episodes of Bone yeah, Chillers. I'm asking so, yeah. you to watch one goddamn pilot about a cyborg dog. You indulge me. <laughs> okay. And then fine. after that, September is mm. suddenly last season all over again. Mm. And we're going to review a bunch of shows that got canceled. Mm. Do we have any letters? We, we have a couple. We do. Um, we got a letter. Uh, th- we actually got kind of a d- duplicate letter from two different listeners. 
oh, weird. Uh, telling us about uh, Time Squad. Oh, that's Because so weird. Voyagers was very much like this other show, Time Squad. So several people wrote in to give us very detailed synopses of Time Squad. Awesome. Which is not eligible for our show, but it's no, it's one it we need to look down. So yeah. Um, so yeah, Voyagers has a thing out there. If you are a fan of our Voyagers episode, seek out Time Squad. Um, here is a uh, letter from Chris. Hi, Chris. Um, hello. Uh, in reference to your crazy head episode, Whitney mentioned that Cadet Tilly was on the spectrum. Uh, she merely says that she has special needs due to her allergies and wasn't supposed to be assigned a roommate. The phrasing probably made it more ambiguous than it should be, but she is con- canonically not explicitly on spectrum. And there's even a link to the scene in question. Um, Fair enough. Uh, maybe I'm thinking of like some act, like behind the scenes stuff, you but know, they did try to say kind of explicitly. You know, that, they do and they don't. Like mm. a lot of shows like to allude to things like that without ever actually getting into the real psychology. Right. Um, it's, so it's weird that they would try to fudge it on a Star Trek show, but everything's wrong about Discovery. Yeah. I don't know um, you know, why is a cadet even on this ship? Get get back to work. They Star have to, Trek. They have to start mm. somewhere. Mm. <laughs> I mean, for, for God's sakes, they let Wesley mm. like pilot the ship that's true he's not even a cadet at yeah that point. Just he's some just some kid. kid just some dude acting ensign they would be like you know like oh yeah oh you, oh you're this is your first plane ride you want to go up and meet the pilot great you want to fly the plane yeah. <laughs> you want to fly the get, plane get to the car can i fly the ship i got my junior wings shut, <sighs> shut up wesley shut up wesley <laughs> we all hate you wesley Will Wheaton's doing well for himself. I know. Good for I'll him. say that. Um, this right. one's from Pete. Uh, hello, Pete. Hey, Bibs and Sibes. Hello. Okay. Nobody calls me Sibes. We do but, now. But you may. Sibes. Uh, li- listen, I need your help. Oh, God. I'm being held prisoner. Oh, no. In a, in a prisoner of war camp. No. Um, I've taken the last three and a half months and have caught up on Council Too Soon. Oh, no. It's been great because your friendship shines through in every episode and it's really nice to listen to. Oh, we you. don't hate each other that much. It's we, true. Not much. <laughs> uh, now I'm at a loss. What do I do now? I try to listen to Critically Acclaimed as often as possible, but I really made Cancel Too Soon a priority listen. Any suggestions beyond Critically Acclaimed to fill the void? Uh, I'd also like to offer a suggestion of a show called Pacific Heat. If you haven't heard of it, it's an Australian animated spy comedy in the vein of Archer. Oh. The cancellation tells me that people weren't fans of it, but I found it quite funny. Hope you can get to it at some point. I'd love to hear your take. Thank you, sirs. Pete. Uh, noted. Uh, oh. I, I don't have as much time to listen to podcasts as I like. I listen to 80s All Over with uh, Drew McQueen, yeah. where they're reviewing every single movie that came out in the 1980s, mm. and they're doing a really great job of it. It's really funny. Mm. It's really informative. I oh, like wait. that one a lot. And that's a good and that's a good one because... Mm. You know, it's not topical. You can just start at the beginning and just yeah, enjoy true. and catch up. So I recommend that. I mean, we have our old B-Movies podcast archive. That, no, it's still that's, around. No, that's but, oh, is it all dead I now? I think they're gone now. I think it's still on iTunes. You might be able to still get it through the think, iTunes feed. I, I don't think, think you can they, get it through what Crave mutated into, which was no, a site I, called Mandatory.com. No, but, I, think the, I think the account died. I don't think it's, oh, I don't think okay. it's available anymore. It might still, like, the link might still be up, but I think it's gone. All right. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm trying to think what other my friends... It's uh, hundreds of those, but... Uh, Clark Wolf has a great podcast yeah. called Sending the Wolf, mm. uh, which but I highly there's, recommend. There's always Shockwaves. Uh, um, is that still going? Shockwaves yeah, okay, still, Shockwave's still going. Okay, strong. I haven't caught up with Shockwaves in a while. Um, uh, our good friends Dave and Alonso uh, have Linoleum Knife. They're mm-hmm. terrific. Uh, uh, Jordan Searles uh, has a great podcast Mm. called Bad Romance, where they review mostly bad romantic movies, usually comedies, not always. Mm. Um, Occasionally they review a good one just for for Mm. contrast. Um, But that's really great, and I really Mm. like what they do over there. Uh, If you're into our commentary tracks, we both interact very uh, very occasionally, but with uh, John Pavlich uh, on the Sofa Dogs podcast. He does commentary tracks for 
movies he's fond of. He got, he gets a guest, at least one guest for every commentary track. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and I have been working very slowly through all of the uh, Friday the 13th movies. We've done the first eight to date. Mm-hmm. Um, because of bad timing, we missed the latest Friday. The th- we released them every Friday the 13th that came along in the calendar. And we missed the last one just because of scheduling Have we problems. done the Saturday the 14th? Maybe we'll do that next, but yeah, um, um, we have to get through a few more Fridays. Uh, yeah, um, I was on the Canon. Uh, the Canon oh, was the Canon was mothballed. Uh, Amy Nicholson ended oh. up. Uh, she teamed up with Paul Shear and is now doing a new podcast called Unspooled. I didn't realize they they the mothballed Canon to do yeah. Unspooled. Okay, that's okay. Yeah. Well, it's Unspooled but, is out there. But the the, uh, the Canon is a really fun one, especially my episode. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> oh, they're, there's a, they're all pretty on. terrific. Hold on, there's a good one I just subscribed to, and I want to make sure I get the title right because I'm really digging it. Mm-hmm. Uh, library. Here, uh, this had Oscar buzz. So just, <laughs> I love even, it already. Even okay. the title's fun. Yeah. yeah, they just look at movies that were like touted as big awards contenders and then ended up either sucking or just vanishing. Mm-hmm. Like one of their first episodes is about Pay It Forward, and it's <laughs> perfect. It's a delight. Like yeah. it's a really good podcast. Oh, so God, that's Pay a good It one Forward too. is such a bad film. That, that one's relatively new, so like mm-hmm. you're not gonna have like I, I think you might have like ten episodes or something you can okay. catch up on. But like yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good one too. So there's a lot of great podcasts mm-hmm. out there. Um, and a lot of those podcasts will recommend other podcasts within their podcast. Mm-hmm. So down the rabbit hole we go. Right. Uh, what it got anymore? This one comes from Name Redacted. Okay. okay. Prefers to remain anonymous. I just listened to the Crazy Head episode and wanted to let you know that I listen to the podcast while I work. I'm glad that so many people have jobs where they can listen to us. Like, just yeah. sort of fill the hours. Yeah, we asked um, um, if anyone, like, listens to the podcast while doing something interesting. Mm. Let us know. Uh, I, uh, if you're a pathologist, I want to hear from you. <laughs> um uh, uh, my job involves drafting legal decisions and regulations for a large state agency. Wow. Uh, in fact, I helped draft my state's new paid family leave regulations during the month of future cop episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we could push that along. And that is a very noble helped. cause. Uh, <laughs> that's right. We helped push along paid family leave regulations. In a very small uh, way. <laughs> is there any chance that MTV's undergrads is on for a list of future podcasts? Uh, cheers. Yes, that's uh, that's on our list. Yes, yes, it is. Mm-hmm. I was confusing with undeclared for a second. That's on the list mm-hmm. too. But yeah, we had, mm-hmm. I think we got undergrads on the list. I'll make sure it is. And undergrads and undeclared, which yes, everybody mixes up. Um, so oh, yeah, yeah th- that's that's on our list. And uh, uh, I'd read another letter, but my phone is loading. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Because your Wi-Fi is a little dodgy right I'm now. I'm sorry about That's that. Okay. Uh, oh, here we go. Here we go. One more letter. Uh, this one comes from Morgan. Hello. Uh, this is uh, a recommendation for Call to Glory, a primetime drama that aired on ABC in 1985 with Craig T. Nelson. Interesting. I don't it know borrowed heavily from the Robert Duvall movie The Great Santini, but in many respects... But uh, what makes me wonder if it was canceled too soon was this. It was a typically jingoistic Reagan-era family drama following the family of a USAF fighter pilot clumsily named Raynor Sarnak, of all things, during the Cold War. It kind of went off the rails a bit. My inkling is that once the writers were informed it wasn't going to be renewed, they just kind of said, fuck it, and wrote whatever they wanted. The tone of the show shifted from revolving around Nelson's life, constantly ready to scramble upon first sign of an approaching red menace, to basically watching terrible, over-the-top things happen to his family. I've been trying to revisit this seeing uh, ever since seeing it on its original run but i haven't seen it available on home video um we have our resources we can they, check we can check to see uh if if we can find this show but yeah it's always yeah. it's a little bit the less well known they are the harder they are to find usually yeah, yeah. but they're usually out there somewhere mm. 
Um, so yeah, uh, here's another another off the wall show that they recommend, and this is not one I've heard of. Okay, uh, they, I'd like to another entry, and then I'll stop. Uh, sure, if you ever delve into daytime soaps, uh, but you have to do a segment on Texas. 19, oh, NBC 1980, which was a spinoff from Another World. Admittedly, it ran two seasons, which may disqualify it, but you have to see this fucking show in all caps. <laughs> it started as a typical soap featuring an extended wealthy family, ranching in oil, of course. By the middle of the second season, having clearly run out of grounded conflicts, the writers introduced a plot about the search for an ancient Indian artifact called the Fire Compass, <gasps> which was basically an aged-down Rubik's Cube that would lead whoever possessed it to an unimaginable wealth. Characters who tempered with the Fire Compass would instantly mummify <laughs> that's amazing if that wasn't enough the final episode was a Hallmark-esque Christmas miracle story which suddenly goes meta as the TV station producing this show is brought in as a hostile takeover and all the actors on the show get fired what? <laughs> it features cameo appearances by country music stars Johnny Paycheck Tom T. Hall and Ray Stevens and by Oklahoma Governor George Nye and his wife I'm not doing it justice you need to see it for yourselves Lord knows there, where it could have gone in another one or two seasons I think we do have to do that. We, we have to, to track try, that down. We need to find this fucking thing. We have That's been, uh, as as William has alluded to several times, we've been toying with the idea of doing sort of an almost spinoff to to cancel too soon, where like we a theme month, some sort of theme month where we do talk about shows that don't qualify for our rules, but we want, really want to talk about anyway. Yeah, shows like Murder One, which yeah. had two seasons, but it's famous I, for not lasting. I'd love to do the critic at some point, just because yes. that's a really important show to to yeah. you and I. We would definitely cap that one off at two mm. seasons, but there's a bunch of shows out there that had two seasons, had one season and a couple episodes. Yeah, so technically two. Yeah, so mm. like yeah, um, but mm. yeah, um, so that's canceled too soon. That's canceled soon, everybody. Uh, you can email us cancel too soon at gmail.com. You can also join our Patreon page, mm-hmm. patreon.com slash cancel too soon. Remember, we always spell cancel with one L. Um, over at Patreon, you get uh, bonus episodes of uh, the Cancel Too Soon monthly movie, where we review TV movies, miniseries, one-offs, stuff that like fits the tone but isn't really mm. the rules of the show. Uh, we have another podcast on there for exclusively for our patrons called Only the Best, where we review telev- uh, we review Academy Award nominated <laughs> films that were nominated for the Academy Award for Best Picture, mm. but all of them starting mm. at the dawn of the Academy Awards and working our way upwards. Um, you have the uh, ability to assign articles to us to publish at critically acclaimed.net. And every month there's a poll and you can help decide mm-hmm. one episode of the <clears throat> show. Uh, and we're going to work a few days away probably from publishing the next one because, again, next month we have uh, uh, shows that were canceled this last season. In fact, as soon as we're done recording, we're going to have a bit of a, 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 a jam session if you will, uh, <laughs> to figure out what those shows are going to be. I know two of them for certain, but we women on piano. I got the bow fiddle. We're just going to make magic. Nice. A jam session. Um, thank you, Whitney. <laughs> You're quite welcome. Uh, we're on Twitter at Cancelcast. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibel. Don't forget, you can also listen to us at Critically Acclaimed, uh, a podcast over at the Schmoes No iTunes feed for all your latest movie news. Uh, no, not news. Just yeah. reviews. Just movie reviews. Mostly reviews. Um, and, and our patented double features and occasional series, film series rundowns. We got a lot of, lot of treats over there. A lot of stuff is going on over there. Later this week, we're going to be reviewing every single film in the Yojimbo Samurai series, uh, of which there are more than most people think. So, uh, again, thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week with K9000, and that is a wrap. We'll see you next season. <laughs>